0: Focused on diversity, equity, inclusion for leaders, career professionals and anyone really looking to upskill themselves and be better allies. So make sure you check out our courses on LinkedIn Learning by clicking the link in the show notes. And let's just say you don't want to do that. You go to LinkedIn Learning on LinkedIn, search Living Corporate. We'll be right there. All right. Peace. Hello, hello, hello. I am your host, Vonda Page. Welcome to the group chat, Radical Change with Vonda Page. Um, I'm going to start today off, uh, first of all, just saying hello and welcome to my guest, my friend, my sister, my colleague, my co-founder of an endeavor that we're going to tell you about in a little bit. But um, really quickly, I want to say hello to Alyssa Stamp. How are you, Alyssa?
1: I'm doing great, Vonda. Thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely. I am super excited to have you here today. Um, as I told our uh, watchers and um, followers, um, you are going to be sharing your workplace discrimination and takedown story with us today But before we even get into that, what I like to do for people who may not have had an opportunity to see episodes of Radical Change um, on the group chat is kind of give people a little background. Um, First and foremost, for those of you who don't know me, I'm your host, Vonda Page, and I've been in technology for about 37 years. And in that time, I've led um, uh, culture, communications, marketing, media, um, and those kind of efforts, but really always in technology, always working with leaders, trying to help them either, um, fix a project that's going wrong, um, help them plan, uh, for an upcoming project. Um, but in that field of being an advisor or strategist, I'm an architect for technology. And so in August of this year, um, I started, This program, um, which is also adapted into a podcast, but specifically started this to talk to people who are in corporate or have been in corporate, but have that experience so that we can continue to share um, our experiences, learn from them and come up with, you know, new solutions to make things better. And so the idea behind this show is to really talk to people who are really driving change, who are really doing something different, and to bring those conversations to the forefront. The other thing for people to know is that Living Corporate, the Living Corporate Network, is all about amplifying the experiences and perspectives of Black black and Brown professionals at work specifically in corporate, but we do that within um, the context of bringing the different perspectives, voices, thought leadership of other people who can help to amplify that. And that's what we're going to get into a little bit today. So um, I already said welcome, but welcome again, Alyssa. And um, I think what we should do is just kind of start off by um, telling people, how we even met um, and how you even got to living corporate today.
1: Yeah. And it's, I mean, kind of a wild story, right? So I was working on the endeavor that I'm doing now and I happened to see a post by Karen Fleshman. And if you don't know Karen, follow Karen. But I clicked on Karen's stuff and I sent her a message and I said, Hey, I just want to connect And she goes, would you like to join an interracial sisterhood? And I said, absolutely. (laughs) And on day one, I met Vonda. And Vonda, there was just something special because as she was talking, there was a part of me that I recognized within her and I couldn't understand what it was right away. But at the very end of the call, you said something that really resonated with me and caused me to reach out, which was that you had experienced abuse as a kid. And I experienced abuse as a kid. And so immediately I was like, we have to connect. So that first phone call was probably four or five hours. Easily of just, yeah. Because what you don't realize having had that shared trauma is that you show up differently in the world and other people understand that too. So it was a really beautiful moment. And since then we've talked every day and what what month was that was that September Mm -hmm. we met in September yeah (laughs) so we've talked every single day and through that experience we have seen a little bit of each other in ourselves and we've also understood and recognized the differences culturally between white and black households and that leads us to the project that we're working on now
0: yeah and and I think a few people and Karen has been on um been on radical change and so people are familiar with her if they're on linkedin and they're and they're following living corporate they have to know who karen is for sure um (laughs) because because she like this is the space right where where she's very active and so in september right we kicked off the interracial sisterhood coalition um that you mentioned and that was really you know where where we met and um the interracial sisterhood coalition for me has really been a really um just exceeded any expectations that i had like i knew that i would develop you know relationships i knew that i didn't know how deep i didn't know how wide i didn't know how many i didn't know um you know that i would get a new best friend like i totally didn't <laughs> know that right and so for me it's been it's been it's been really amazing and you and i started talking about Not only, you know, our shared experiences in our personal lives, right, and growing up in abusive households, even though you are from a family of five, I'm from a single, uh, single child family. You grew up in the the, uh, suburbs, Midwest, like, you know, rural, military family. I grew up inner city Philadelphia. You, you know, have been in white spaces predominantly your entire life. I was in white, have been predominantly in white spaces since I graduated from high school. Um, Right. And so we have all of these um, commonalities and these things that we started developing and uncovering. And one of them was around our experiences at work. And so a lot of people, um, especially any people who've been um, listening to the show, they've heard um, Jackie Abram. Um, And I discuss her book. They heard Cindy Bright and I discuss her book. They heard Angel Henry and I discuss her book, right? And all of these books, um, uh, you know, have talked about the experiences of Black women in the workplace, right? Suffering these, you know, just horrific, traumatic, um, abusive experiences. And they are terrible, And the thing is, for as much as, you know, all of us individually, right, when we're um, suffering whatever thing that we're going through, it's easy to feel like we're in it by ourselves or nobody gets us or it's only happening to people who look like me or people that look like you. And so one of the things that you and I talked about when we were talking about work and, and career, you know, was was your story. And so what I would like for you to do is, um, you know, I'm here with you and, you know, trauma doesn't ever fully leave us, right? The body keeps the score. Um, but I would like you to share, you know, your, um, your, your story um, about workplace discrimination And I want us to talk about it. And then, you know, one of the objectives that I want to get out of our conversation is to help people see how having an interracial sisterhood, how being an ally at work and how having that courage, how it's really helpful. So, you know, just start from, you know, your career Mm -hmm. and what you've been doing and then just, you know, get into it.
1: All right. Well, we can start from let's start from last summer. So. During the pandemic, I don't have to tell everyone what it's like to reevaluate your life when the pandemic hits. I think we all kind of sat with that for a moment. And I had worked in insurance for over a decade. Most of that was in underwriting. Some of that was in sales. And when businesses started closing, I was like, I just, I got to be somewhere else. So I joined the agency side and I picked an agency that I had known for a little bit. I kind of scouted it out a little bit made sure i felt safe i was hearing all of the right things and i was like you know what i'll be in ownership i'll be in leadership this is the right move and then i can be a woman-owned agency one day which was the goal so everything was good for about three months (laughs) and you know there's things that go on during the day or from week to week that aren't great and you kind of shrug it off because you just know in certain spaces It's not going to be perfect. And I had taken my blows in insurance before. I think even in the first couple of years I worked in insurance, I had a few stories that happened to me. And you kind of just push it to the side and go, you know, this is just how it is. It'll be okay. And that's kind of how I was navigating the first few months. But it wasn't until a specific instance and content warning. This is where we get into it. I was, I woke up one morning to a text message with a pornographic video and it wasn't directed to me more as it was, Hey, look at this. And it happened to be someone that we knew was someone that I didn't know. And to me, it was clear that she had no idea that she was being recorded and my stomach flipped. I, um, who I didn't know what to do. I immediately just responded. So they knew that I got it and I just kind of let it be. And I went into work and I kept my head down and I was hoping that I wasn't going to see anybody because I didn't want to talk about it. And of course they come in immediately and they're like, oh, hey, did you delete that video? And initially I had every intention of deleting it, but the day got away from me and I forgot. And the conversation I had when they kept pressing was, this was not okay. This could technically be a felony. This shouldn't be shared. And I kind of left it alone after that. But I was more bold after that moment, standing up anytime another aggression surfaced, whether it was discussing the sexuality of somebody that was a carrier person, whether it was objectifying somebody else within our space. And I, I started to push back. And that was the moment that it started to get worse for me. I was excluded from meetings that I was supposed to be a part of. I didn't get to be in decision-making positions. All of the decisions we had made beforehand that I was a part of, everything that I had worked on was either swept under the rug, thrown out completely or ignored. And they started to ignore me. I would email, ask questions. And for insurance professionals or or people that work with the insurance space, we all kind of know year-end is like, That's the moment. That's the busiest time of year. So we're in November, December. It's my first year on the team working on this renewal book, and I have no help. Not everything is in a file. There are some things that people just know in their heads, and if they're refusing to tell you, you can't get access to it. So I did my best. We made it through. And January rolls around. I have a sit down with my partners, and... I'm told that they were aware that they were ignoring me and they expected me to step up, step up at that time. And it was really hard to hear because I said, why, why wouldn't you just communicate with me? And they said that I was failing at my job and that's why they didn't want to communicate with me. And I've never heard this before. I've, I've always done well. Wherever I've been, I, like I said, I've spent 10 years in the industry. So to hear some of the things that they were saying that I knew weren't true was really difficult. And then it got even worse. And what I'll say is, because I don't think you need every gory detail. I think what people need to hear sometimes is how it affects that person. Because basically for the first half of this year, I wasn't eating well. Or at all sometimes. There were days that I didn't want to shower or couldn't physically. Because I would wake up and just roll over and want to stay in bed. I would walk to work. And if you've ever been in a Chicago winter, and Vonda, I know you have. It's cold. (laughs) It's not for the week. Um, And I don't like being cold. But I would leave on time from my building. And subconsciously would take the longest possible route. One of my coworkers offered to help distract my partner so that I could use the restroom, which happens a lot more frequently when you're nervous or on edge and full transparency. My mental health suffered deeply. I was depressed for the better part of this year And I got to a very dark place, one where I contemplated suicide. And it's not anything that I wish on anybody. Because the reality is I I didn't do anything wrong. But they just didn't want to be told that what they did was wrong. And then contract wording started to change and it got far, far worse from there. But... And this is where it's beautiful. And this is where you come in, too. It was talking about it with other people that saved the day for me. Because ultimately, when you go through something like that, I think the toughest part is how ashamed you feel. Here I was being so proud of making the move that I did. It wasn't an easy move. I mean, I took a pay cut. I you know, wasn't in the comfort of corporate America. I was kind of, I was in a small business and you work harder in a small business, but I wanted it to succeed. And I swallowed that shame and I told that story. And if you've listened to other renditions of this story through other podcasts, you'll know that when I told this story to a group of women on a virtual phone call, it was the biggest virtual hug I've ever received. Every single woman went around that room. And Vonda, it was, it was a complete mix of people. Geography, race, ethnicity, background, age, our place in insurance. It was all different. And it was simultaneously the best and worst moment of my life because I wasn't alone. I was validated. I felt like my feet touched the ground for the first time in months. And then the horror set in, the realization of this awful feeling that I feel. Thousands upon thousands of other people feel this too. Every day, every week, every year, there's another story. And I think a big moment for me was when I knew I wanted to put my story out there. I didn't know how yet at the time. And I was speaking with another woman and she goes, well, Alyssa, what makes your story so special? And I kind of sat back for a second and I realized nothing. And that's, that's the awful part is that you could take my story and copy and paste it and change just a couple details. And it's everybody's story because we've shared our stories, Vonda, and, Mine sounds eerily similar to yours, sounds eerily similar to several other women that I've spoken to. And um, I know that the sisterhood would feel the same way. Yeah.
0: And, you know, um, first I, I have to, you know, I feel your story and I think any person that hears it will. And if, they've experienced it the same way you have they know like they know because you do feel alone and I think the reason we feel alone in those situations is because we are afraid to talk to other people about it right because we are we number one we don't know if we're the only ones it's happened to yeah and and with the umbrella or the context of being gaslit right, by the perpetrator at the time, it adds to it, right? So it's like, okay, you know that what has happened to you has happened to you. But because of the environment, because of the messaging, because of what people are saying, because of what everybody is telling you, you start to feel like, oh, maybe I'm crazy. But when you're having the physical symptoms of the can't eat, the can't sleep, headache, migraine, like body hurting for no reason, not like you had a good workout at the gym or no. you fell or you were in a car accident, your body just hurts. All of those, right, are are signs, right? And I'm thinking even about, you know, Ebony's story in Hush Money, right? In Jackie's book, right? And, and she was like so sick. And I've been in that situation and I know many, 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 many people have been in that. Um, I wanna go back to like, when you think about the environment, right? And and the people you were working around and the people you were working closest with at the time, describe some of that. Like, so yeah. like, so like when I think about that feeling of feeling alone and like isolated, like this is only happening to me or other people aren't going to believe me or they're not going to hear me. What was the environment like at work
1: right after, you know, while this was going on? So it depends on which person you're talking about. And I'm not going to specifically talk about how many people were there or who specifically was on board, because I don't think that's fair. But what I will say is there was a very obvious split of people that were recognizing the damage that had been caused and people that um, were not and were trying to shove it under the rug. For the people that recognized what was going on, that is probably the only thing that kept me sane. Because when I walked in, it wasn't just this feeling of I was completely alone. There was this sense where, and you've been in this environment too, where if you have an ally, you can kind of look at them. And even with a look, you know exactly. So I had somebody, like I said, that would step up and distract someone so that I could go use the restroom. I had someone who would call to check in on me to be like, are you okay? Yes, I've been through this. I've been through this with them. Um, So it was helpful, but at the same time, because of the power structure, there was very little we could do. So if you look at the other side of that, the perpetrator side of it, the gaslighting, as you mentioned, was very, very real because it was to the point where one of them would say something and completely undermine or change or alter what literally just happened. So for instance, okay, um, if somebody left food in the microwave and I said, oh, there's food in the microwave, I would be told, no, there's not food in the microwave. And you could literally look at the fact that there was food in the microwave and (laughs) And it wasn't just that. Anytime I had a one-on-one, it was, why are you so terrible at your job? Why do I have to explain everything to you? And they don't. But I will tell you, as a woman on the agency side, and I experienced discrimination on the carrier side, but it was far worse on the agency side because I would spend most of my day explaining why or how I knew what I knew instead of actually doing my job. And I don't, I'm not saying that tongue in cheek, I actually have evidence of this because one of our employees who was male was off for about a week. And instead of putting an out of office on, I just managed two inboxes for about a week because I could, and for the most part, our work overlapped. So during that week, if I responded as my male colleague, I would get, thanks so much. Oh my goodness, that was so helpful no other questions, that was great, we love you, et cetera. If I would respond from my inbox, it was, are you sure? Do you have evidence of that? Can you provide other resources? I'm gonna need proof. And it would take me two to three more emails on my account than it would on his. And I don't know if that added to it, but it certainly certainly didn't help. But I would say beyond the point where everybody recognized things were going on, what made it worse was knowing that they knew and how quickly they were, how quickly they minimized me and the experience. It became about my poor performance rather than anything else. So it was just, it was a very oppressive environment. Um, I dreaded going in. In fact, I would often sit on the couch right before work and just sob. And then my husband would come in and he'd pick me up and he goes, today will be better than yesterday and you can come home. And that was the only way I could get out the door.
0: And I can guarantee you, I mean, I I, I would say millions of people have experienced it. Because if you just think about whether you're talking about insurance, whether you're talking about technology, whether you're talking about finance, banking, utility, oil and gas, con- uh, consulting,
1: consulting. I mean, yeah.
0: other than maybe, maybe less in education and maybe less in healthcare, maybe, I, you know, maybe, but, but where are women have experienced that and then when you you know then you take black women right who then also experience it at the hands of white women that's when it gets like like another level treacherous so like and we didn't talk about this part in in conjunction with this story but i'm thinking about that right now right so imagine i'm imagining if you would have been a black woman I mean, I don't even know, like, That's they would have a- had you out the door within, the ne- by the next day, you would have been out with your box walking out.
1: It would have been less than, because I was there and it got bad in, what, three, four months? It would have been weeks. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, okay. So, I want to go back to a little bit of what you were saying around, like, some of your allies, right, and people that, like, you know, were, were helping you out. Because, you know, there's a lot of talk and I've saw some things on LinkedIn this week and some other things, you know, people are having this whole conversation about like allies don't know what to do. So we need to tell allies what to do. We need to give them, you know, some sound strategies, some specific steps. You know, they need to learn some special skills. Right. So that they can they can do this. Um, so let's talk for a minute about like what that looks like in the workplace. Right. So. So your so your allies tell me a little bit about like did you have like the meeting before the meeting so like i've done that with people right be like okay hey i'm going to present in this meeting and i'm going to talk about this da 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 da. and i'll review it when i'm like see how they feel about it. they're like oh yeah this is great vonda yeah i think you should do it boom, boom boom okay now if such and such you know says this do you have my back do you feel comfortable speaking up like having the meeting before the meeting right and then I've done that with people, men and women of every background, <laughs> every age, and they're like, "Yup, I got you. This is good. Boom, boom." And then when it's time, they just they they can never come through, and then they don't come back to you later and say, "Oh, Dag, I'm sorry. I was nervous, or I couldn't get it together in the meeting. I'm sorry I let you down." They just fade away and you Mm -hmm. might say damn I thought you was going to speak up what happened and they just kind of fade away and and never get back to you and you just kind of boom out so let's talk about you know Mm -hmm. what 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 does an ally look like in the workplace especially in the midst of you know a very traumatic um you know situation like this
1: so Yes, I did have, it. the short answer is yes. We did have the meeting before the meeting. We had the side conversations. We had the conversations afterwards. We had the texts during the meeting. We had the whole thing. But I will say, having tried to be an ally myself and failed before and come through in other ways, I think when you're approaching allyship, there's this part of you that believes it has to be big and it has to be the grand gesture every time. Most of allyship I'm learning and what I really needed were the little things. It doesn't have, and yeah, it doesn't have to be this grand. I'm going to walk in with, you know, women are the future sweatshirt. What I, (laughs) what I really needed was someone to run interference for me and check on something that I, because at one point they started changing all of the passwords to everything and not giving me access. I could reach out to someone and say, hey, do you have the password for this? And they could give it to me. Um, In the case of that one ally, he would go and distract so that I could use the restroom. Something like that is huge because you know the amount of courage it took to just walk by that office door. So for me, it's, and this is why, this is what I focus on all the time, it's the little stuff. Because I think if you try to bite off more than you can chew, to your point, in the stories and the experiences you've had, it's that fade, but show up in the small ways, sit next to somebody in the meeting, hold their hand if they're comfortable with it, Talk, go with them at that meeting so that they're not alone. Have a mock interview, have a mock conversation, show up in the small ways first to build that courage, to show up in the big ways when it's most important because nobody needs that situation where we, where we fade. It's not, it's not fair, it's not right. And I will say it is different in small business than it is in corporate because there's, you're kind of bare in a small business, but if you have a corporate setting with HR, advocate, talk about it, whistleblow. There's a lot of ways that you can do things. Um, and there's a lot of software out there that can help you do this too. And to harken back to hush money, evidence mail put everything in writing and keep it because I will tell you, you need it.
0: Yeah. And I love, you know, that evidence mail. I mean, so for those who have not um, read the book yet, uh, Hush Money, How One Woman Proved Systemic Racism at Work and Won or and Kept Her Job. I might not say saying it exactly right. It's on my phone, not in hard copy. Um, But it is an amazing book. Her uh, sequel to that book is coming out either New Year's Eve or New Year's Day. And I'm going to have Jackie next week um, at the 8 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Central Time to talk about the second book. But when she talks about how the character in the book, Ebony, you know, had to send all these emails. I can remember at times in my career where you knew you had to do it, but you just hate doing it. Because when you have to start doing the CYA or evidence mails, you already know your job is in jeopardy. You already know people coming after you. You already are experiencing gaslighting, retaliation, not getting access to passwords, getting left out of meetings, left off of email, whispered, not invited to lunch, nobody sits next to you. Like you, you you feel and know all of that. And so to then have to be like, Dear John, as you said in the meeting, blah, blah, blah. It's like, it, it kind of like, it like just takes it to another level, right? Where you, you don't want to do it, but mm-hmm. you have to, you have to. If we're going to be in these places, we're going to be in these traumatic, abusive, oppressive environments that are literally killing us, right? Bit by bit, whether it's, you know, one blood pressure degree Point at a time right or one migraine at a time or 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 two days not being able to eat food or 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 keep yourself hydrated right we know that these environments these companies these experiences are extremely detrimental to our physical health our mental emotional health to our financial future the way we take care of our like to everything and so if we're going to be in these environments we have got to um, use the the uh, means and the strategies and the tools to, number one, protect ourselves and keep ourselves safe. So if that means that we have to send an email to, after having a meeting where somebody tried to gaslight us into thinking we have poor performance or something else, we need to just do that. And we need to look at it as this is how we care for ourselves, because the thing that you know, I'm, um, I've am i learned this year and, you know, what I am doing and, and one of the things I want to help every, every person do, but is to really think about how we care for ourselves. And because work, whether we're working for a corporation or ourselves or a nonprofit or a school or whatever we are doing, that's part of who we are. So we have to, whether we're at work for somebody else that's writing a check for us or we are earning our own money, we still have to take care of ourselves. And I think it's even more important when we're working in those large corporations or mid sized or uh, when we're working for other people, right? That we have our own boundaries and our own standards and our own priorities that take care of ourselves first because we know that these companies, they are literally exploiting us just to make money. And I was saying to somebody, I think I told you this the other day. I said I was saying to somebody, I said literally, right? The the these big companies, these billionaires, they are trying to kill us with they like they got us burning up with hatred and with heat. Right. So between racism, right, and discrimination and the climate and the whole like literally every part of our whole world is heating up on fire. And nobody cares. So, if we are working in these jobs or in the, at these companies and these big corporations, we have to take care of ourselves first because we know they don't care about us. So, we can give them their eight hours of work. But within that eight hours, we need to be making sure that we're caring for ourselves that whole time. So, if that means we have to send evidence mail after every meeting because somebody has said something, crazy or they're trying to make us think that we're not whatever or somebody interrupted us a thousand times or made a comment about your body or your hair or your relationship or whatever like to have to do that um it's it's where we are in this moment unfortunately
1: yeah and i would even go a step further so you've referenced a couple of items that you could put in evidence mail which were it's email but we're calling it evidence mail for this purpose I was given a really great piece of advice early on in my journey, which was even if there's nothing that you can send an email on, like there's not a moment like what you're referencing, they told me, catalog your day. Yes. So go into your email, start a draft and do it in your personal email and send it to yourself at the end of the day, but put in there, anything that happens, um, how you're feeling, Anything that would show up or prove it because it's, it's date stamped, it's time stamped, and it's kind of irrefutable if you keep doing it. Because then you have a pattern of behavior that shows, okay, this is how it, it was today. This is how it was. and So it happens every Tuesday or it happens every Wednesday or it happens the two days a week this person is in the office. So if you're looking for another way to do that, I strongly advise doing that because, A, it it helps you kind of release some of that during the day. Journaling in general helps you do that. But, B, then you have it to call upon when you need it.
0: Yeah, and that's that's true, too. And I think about, you know, different um projects or different companies that i've started at at different points in time and i might start off journaling but then it seems like everything's fine they seem like they're okay and then i stop and then i'm like oh i should have kept it up because you it you know you you do see that change right from the time you start at a new organization you know um in minda hart's uh first book the memo she calls it going from pet to threat right and i think that happens you know, all the time because it's like, okay, here's this new person, right? We're going to give them a chance, give them the benefit of the doubt. So everybody likes you in the beginning, right? Unless you come in as the boss, but everybody likes you, right? If you're, if you're reporting up or, or, you know, lateral with people, but then as soon as you become competent or as soon as you call something out. So in your story, right, you talk about calling out, you know, calling people on their behavior, calling people on being wrong and there's this thing where it's like it the 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 focus switches from the victim and the issue right and and when it should be on the person who did the harmful behavior and in my experience and you know I tell people all the time I've been in corporate you know been in and working for over 35 years and um, it's always not always but it always seems to be Um, A person in a higher level that never wants to either admit that they made a mistake, um, uh, admit that they don't know something like and it just seems very um, counterintuitive and and just kind of crazy that the it it just always flips on to uh, digress from the real issue and the real behavior and the real problems that need to be addressed.
1: Absolutely, and I believe there's, there's definitely ego that plays into that. And there's definitely fear that plays into that. I know fear is a very powerful motivator. And so if I'm calling somebody out on something, where's their head going? I think if we take a step back and we go, how could this story have been different? First of all, that video should never have been taken. I know there's a lot of people when I tell this story that say, well, they should have known better than to send you that video. And yes, you're right. They should have, but it shouldn't have been taken to begin with. That's the, that's the root of it. That's the real issue. But I digress. So had they sent that email, I addressed it with them. The right step would have been, you're right. That was really bad. We should probably talk to this person about it or, this is not going to happen again. And that would have been fine. That would have been great for me and we could have kept going. It didn't have to become what it did. It didn't have to go down that road. It was damaging to everybody. Cuz that's that's the other issue is while a lot of that hate and vitriol was directed at me, guess what that did for everybody that worked in that office? It made it miserable. Because then everyone's aware of it. There's tension every day. You're doing multiple jobs. Because to your point, if you're journaling, if you're documenting, if you're writing evidence mail, you're doing your work. And then you're doing a second job cataloging your work. It's not fun. Nobody needs it. I think we're to the point where if we own our mistakes, reconcile them, we can move on. We don't have to continue to dig bigger holes. Ultimately, even after they ignored me and all of that, had they come to me and said, yeah, we messed up. We're really sorry. Here's how we wanna resolve this. I would have stayed and I would have worked with them because I saw potential there and that's what I wanted to do. I didn't wanna try to take them down. I didn't want this to be a thing. And I think most people, I I know, like you're shaking your head. I assume there have been stories in your past that had they just apologized and said, hey, this is how we're going to make this right.
0: Do you agree? I agree. And I was reading something else, another person's story the other day. um, And it's the same thing. Literally acknowledge that you made a mistake and apologize, but then figure out how to not do it again. Don't beat me up because I told you. Hey, you did something. It was real terrible. I'm telling you, you did this terrible thing. So now you could say, "Oh my goodness, I didn't realize that this thing was terrible, and I didn't realize the impact of this thing." So you know, we've had conversations, and I might may have even said them. Um, you know, um, on, on this show, I have a that thing about impact and intent, like that really gets me bad, right? And I I, I don't give a daggone about intent at all it's all Mm. about the impact and so you know if a person were to just acknowledge hey i failed in this moment or i just didn't i just wasn't the best me i could be at that time right even if you don't want to say you failed but i wasn't the best me Mm. at the time and i did something that i should not have done um you know i'm sorry about that and so what can i do to make sure that i don't mess up like that again like have that conversation
1: yeah, it's really that simple, isn't it? It's, it's not rocket science. And I think for those of us, myself included, that are working on being allies, on being better allies, the learning there is to say, thank you for coming to me. Thank you for telling me I messed up. I'm sorry, I'm going to get better and I'm going to move on. Because the reality is there's no such thing as good people and bad people. There are people and we do good and bad things People make mistakes. That's not the end of the world. We can fix mistakes, and we can do it together. But the operative word there is "together." You can't. You can't operate by yourself in this environment and expect it to go well.
0: You can't. You can't. And 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 so, I want to step back for a second. Um, and I think I'm not sure if you and I had this conversation or if this was one of the conversations that I know we had within the interracial sisterhood. But we had a conversation about um about shame and i know i was sharing with jen you know like i don't really get shame as like an emotion or a feeling or whatever because you know black people <laughs> me and me you talk about this stuff all the time we have certain expressions and certain things we say and and there's a big thing about there's no shame in my game meaning i'm okay with who i am there's no shame in how i show up and what i do and, and, and how I am because there's nothing wrong with me. So if you were to call me out on something that I did that that you thought was jacked up, I would be like, oh my God, I'm sorry. And then I would say, explain it to me. And yes. then I would think through it. And then I would say, okay, well, blah, blah, blah. And, 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 and because you and I have a lot of, um, I would call them physical differences, right? Like age, like skin color, like socioeconomic, how we grew up you know, uh, that whole thing, right? You know, and I don't know if you just know now because now we're friends and we've been (laughs) talking, but you know that if I'm saying something and we're talking, I'm being sincere and trying to understand. So if you were to say, oh my God, like, okay, um, let's say I I said something um, offensive about, uh, offensive to the queer community that you might be more familiar with, right? Mm -hmm. Being in the community than I would be. You wouldn't get mad at me no. if I said something whatever and I'd be like, "Oh, like we were having a conversation which we're going to talk about eventually around the whole Dave Chappelle thing." And I was saying, "I get him and I understand how he talks because I grew up talking just like that with people who talk like that. So I get it." And so I wouldn't be offended, you know, by having a conversation if a person said something that was that was wrong. It would be the way that they received the feedback and then what happened afterward. So if I said, oh, that is a very offensive, like one of my really good friends, she always says, hey, is this racist? And I'm like, yeah, kinda. Or no, like we talk about it, right? Mm -hmm. And and if it is, or she'll say something, she'll say, hey, is that racist? And I'll be like, or if I've noticed it, I'll be like, hey girl, that's racist. (laughs) And she'll be like, (laughs) Oh, okay. And then we talk about it. So talk a little bit about like the shame thing and how, you know, like a person who wants to be an ally can kind of get past it a little bit um, in the moment, at least.
1: I think that's key. And I think it's a beautiful segue into what we're doing, because growing up in the white household and the white community that I did, shame was a big part of it. And shame was kind of put on you when you failed or when you messed up. So it made you really anxious to make a mistake. It made you really anxious to even show a mistake. And you can tell a toxic environment by how people approach the mistakes that they make. I believe I've apologized to you before if I'm late or something like that, and you said you did not step on my white sneakers. And I think part of it is having having that reception And knowing that you're safe because growing up in an abusive household, if that is one of the triggers that we had, that would induce some shame. But we have to let go of how people perceive us because we do not have control over that. Let's be honest. We don't. I mean, I, I will always try to do my best, (laughs) but even then someone can look at you from across the room. You've never met them. You may never meet them. You can't control that image. It's a lot of work and it's unnecessary. And shame, all it does is keep us from acting, from growing, from being better. So you can have that moment if you need to sit with sadness or fear or anger, but forgive yourself and then learn and do better. That's how we can change this. It has to be having those open conversations and it has to be swallowing that shame because a lot of that is wrapped around pride too.
0: Yeah. And so that, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And it's funny because like when, and we've talked about this, you know, and and I've talked to tons of, you know, my black friends, black female women friends about it. Um, Those of us who either, work you know in a predominantly white space or went to school or live in a predominantly white space um especially people that like live in oregon like me right (laughs) right um because it's a white place that this is um and so one of the 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 things the themes is that you know when you have a white woman friend you know it's like they're like super fragile or like so like weak, you tell them anything, they get upset, they cry, they can't handle anything. And so mm-hmm. you feel like I can't be invested with this person. They don't know every day I'm trying to keep myself alive. I'm trying to keep my kid alive. And oh my God, if I have a boy black child, my stress is up a whole nother level. And so I don't have time in a friendship to protect a person right. from nothing, like right. from my own experiences, right? Right. So like, so talk about that, like a little bit, because like, I know, you know, women, like I said, who they, it's like, they, they just can't handle anything you say. And you're like, oh my God, this is just like,
1: yeah, may I, may I reference some of the conversations we've had? Absolutely. Yeah. So you and I go deep a lot and we're not afraid to go deep. Nope. Um, and I'm okay sitting with it when you say, Hey, this is what's going on in my life. And I feel you pull back. And I know it's because of previous relationships. I think as white women, what we have to recognize is that it's not about us. It's not always about us. We are not the main character in this story and we have to sit with it. It is not about trying to prove that we have been through something to understand it. Sometimes empathy is sitting there and saying, wow, Vonda, that is super messed up. I am so sorry. What else do you need to talk about? Right? I mean, that's part of it. But I think a lot of, and we can get into the why it feels that way on our side. And I know that we're going to be addressing that in our project. Mm -hmm. But a lot of that stems from how you grow up the spaces that you're in, what you're told and what you're taught. And what we have to do as white women is say, what I have learned the majority of my life is probably wrong. And that's a tough lesson to hear because you're here, like what you've learned, what you've been taught was taught to you by family, friends, people whose opinions you truly value. And so to recognize that it's probably wrong means you're recognizing that they're probably wrong. And that's a lot to unpack. But if you really want to do this work, and you should want to do it, because if anybody can be othered in our society, then we too can be othered, then you need to sit with it. And I think in all of the conversations that you and I have had, the recurring theme is you can't help somebody until you've helped yourself. And there's a lot you cannot you can try it's the same it's the same theory as you cannot love someone until you've loved yourself and all of that seems very vague but let me make it very clear for you go to therapy if you have the option if you don't have the option there are resources that we're working to build out on our website um there's also a place you can call go called the national association of social workers Every state has one, go to their website, see if you can find a free resource or something to connect you with it. If you sit in a marginalized identity, there are resources for that as well. Thank you Vonda for putting that in the chat. Um, there, there's a multitude of ways that you can do this where you don't have to incur a lot of expense. And there's probably many people sitting out there going, you know, I'm fine, you know, I, I've got a great job, I'm doing okay. I've got a partner, I've got a house, I've got a pet, I don't need to work on me. But I will tell you, there's not a soul on this earth. If you grew up in America, if you grew up as a millennial, if you grew up as a boomer, that doesn't have damage, that's undiscovered. So do the work because it's healing for you and it's healing for the rest of us.
0: So with that, like, I mean, it's funny, like, you, you, you want to, I think we all as human beings have a need to belong right and be close and, and feel connections. But when you think about, you know, connections um, within your, your family, your family of origin, your community, maybe your spiritual church community, whatever, right? To think that you may have learned things that were not helpful to think that you may have engaged in harmful behavior, to think that you may have traumatized people and hurt people, to think that you have could have had interactions with your colleagues or subordinates at work and have literally caused that person to not be able to eat or, you know, to, to have ideations or whatever, right? Yeah, that is some shit to sit with. That is something to sit with. So, um, you know... I think there is a chasm, right, that people kind of have to cross. And I think that is asking the question to yourself is who do you want to be and what kind of world do you want to live in and or leave when you leave? So even if you don't have any children and not planning to have any, do you do you want the world to be exactly like it is now? and I call it hot and hateful because it literally feels hot and hateful because men hate women, right? Uh, Rich people hate everybody. Um, And the planet is on
1: fire. Yeah. I think the question that we have to ask ourselves at the end of the day is, are we worth it? And I'll answer that for you. You don't have to ask yourself, yes, you are. And you have to kind of wade through some shit first. Yeah. And we are all worth it. We all are worth it. But we have to make the effort. We yeah. have to. We do.
0: We do. And and when you talk about the effort, right? So I think that, you know, that segues into, you know, um, our big project um, that I announced uh, last week on LinkedIn. Um, and it's called Opposites Oppressed, And we are starting off um, with a podcast that we are going to kickoff very shortly, probably within the next um, month or so. And um, it's really going to be a exploration of these conversations. And as we develop and grow our relationship and we have conversations, you know, about our families, we're exploring differences between, you know, how you grew up in a white family, how I grew up, even though my family is black, my family um, really tried as much as possible on my mom's side to um, make us be as uh, white conforming and and white adjacent from the standpoint of our way we talk, the way we dress and, and all of that. But I also had, you know, other parts of my family that were like, you know, just because you're educated or this part has college degrees and this part isn't, there's no difference. You're still black. Right. And, and so talking through, you know, that talking through, um, you know, our relationships with our mothers, with our family, with friends work. Um, but, but even more so just like, what is it really like to just like go two feet in just like, boom, I'm just going to just put myself out here in this relationship because we both believe that, we are going to create something better that the world is hot and hateful and it doesn't have to be right. And when we find those things that are in common, how it just brings you this, it brings you
1: close together. It does the, that first phone call lit a fire, I think in both of us in a way, because in all of the previous relationships I've had with black women, I didn't have that really deep core commonality like you and I have, which has been really the foundation of everything that we've talked about. And to your point, we're talking about everything from food to holidays. To vomiting. <laughs> vomiting. Yes. We, get, we, we go a lot of places, but I think what's super valuable for both of us has been the realizations we've made along the way. And a common phrase that we've said throughout the process is, it's like we've been using the same words our entire life, but speaking two completely different languages. We've really kind of narrowed it down to what is the culture and how is it different? We could be neighbors and it feels completely different. Um, And like you said, we grew up in two different timelines, (laughs) different spaces. The socioeconomic status was completely different. I grew up very poor. We were on food stamps. You grew up in a upper middle. Upper middle. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. But despite all of that, what we're learning with each other and what we're learning together is how to connect and how to overcome any obstacle that we've found. And that to me is the beauty in conversation, the beauty in perspective and the beauty in doing the work.
0: And I think the other thing is like, I know that I can talk to you, and you're not gonna like you. You you have I guess learned and practiced, but you know how to not like it, you can't be offended because you know I'm just telling you from my experience. I'm just talking to you, so it's nothing I could say. You know, if I say, "Oh, my white woman friend did this," or you're not gonna be like, "Oh, like it's so." I feel free, like I can be, like I could talk to you, like I'm talking to. You know, a friend that I've had for 20 years, like I don't have to, you know, but it is a learn, but it's a learned behavior. Right. Because like I said, I'm telling you, I'm used to white women who you can't. I'm like, as soon as I say somebody did this to me, they want to tell me about how they almost, you know, they can't walk in a parking lot by themselves. Okay, nobody's talking about you walking in a parking lot. I'm telling Mm -hmm. you, I'm at work and, you know, somebody did this or that. It's not the, you know, discrimination Olympics, you know what I
1: mean? Absolutely. I think so if you're that person, if you recognize a bit of yourself in what we're saying, where somebody calls upon a past memory or a current experience, and you immediately jump to an experience you have or what you do, that's a signal that you need to work on something. That's a signal that you have hurt that's not identified or, or that isn't healed yet. And that's okay, we all have a little bit of that. But to your point, it is a practice, it's understanding and empathy, but it's also healing and knowing that not everything's about you. And while that might sound like really like, what it really is, is freeing. Because if not everything's about you, then you don't have to manage that. It's not your job or your expectation. You can move about the world and be yourself. And that, to me, is the most beautiful part of it. But thank you. I mean, the goal of what we're doing isn't just to, you know, change the world, which I fully believe we will. Absolutely. The goal of it is to just be friends. Like, we talk every day. We send you, I sent you a picture of the shoes I just bought. <laughs> and they're so cute, by the way. i like, oh, I like those. I like those. They're so cute. And there's a story that we tell on the podcast about my earrings and my ears getting pierced. Like that's what it's about. It is. And and when you
0: have those relationships, I mean, it enhances your life, you know, um, in in such a great way. I mean, so you think like three months ago, right. I mean, when I think about what I, where I was with my, you know, business and things I'm doing and this, and, and now like we have a whole new thing going, um, and so, you know, I'm going to tell everybody, stay tuned to learn more about Opposites Oppressed. You know, in the meantime, you can uh, send us an email at contact at oppositesuppress.com But I want to thank my good friend, Alyssa, for being here with me today. And for those of you who didn't get a chance to join on live, you can catch the replay. And next week, I will have Jackie Abram back. talk about book two. So look forward to seeing you. Thanks so much.